This is an encore presentation from Veritas Radio. The questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. And tonight we will examine the relationship between the media, corporate America, and government. In a country where the top 1% control 90% of the wealth, tonight's guest argues that the media system is nothing but a subsidiary of corporate America. It's a stunning fact that the media received $80 million in campaign ads for the 1980 election and $1 billion for the 2000 election. Large corporations own the television networks, and the sheer number of stations and channels available gives the public the illusion of choice. Yes, there are tons of channels to choose from, but this ostensible diversity conceals an actual uniformity. This is why Orwell Rolls in His Grave, which is the title of a DVD written and directed by tonight's special guest, Robert Kane Pappas. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Robert K. Pappas is a director and writer, known for To Age or Not To Age, Orwell Rolls in His Grave, Some Fish Can Fly, and Now I Know. As I always say, from George Orwell, it's 1984. It was published 65 years ago on June 8th, 1949. If Orwell were alive today, he would demand royalties. And I would like to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Robert Kane Pappas. Hello, Robert, and welcome to Veritas. Oh, hello. Nice to meet you. It's my pleasure. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I was browsing for future guests, and my assistant producer mentioned two pieces of work. One, Orwell's, Orwell rolls in his grave, and another one, to age or not to age. And I just realized to, to produce two radio programs, Veritas, that deals with what we're going to be discussing tonight, and also Sanitas, which discusses to H, not to H. You'll be making an appearance on our other radio program also. But how did you decide, and when did you decide to begin your work to study the incestuous relationship between the media and the government and the corporations? Well, I was I was a graduate film student uh, at NYU <clears throat> Graduate Film School in 1980 uh, in the run-up to the election between Carter and Reagan. And at the same time, we were in the middle of something called the hostage crisis. So it, 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 it was very striking because for 400 days, and now I'm in the middle of uh, a year in graduate school, this story just kept going and going and going. We've become 
used to it with things like the O.J. Simpson trial. These stories could just go on and on and on. And I, I just thought to myself that the way we were reporting news was really changing. Um, it, it was just this, this ongoing soap opera of the, of the, of the hostages. So I, t- I took a video camera and, a, and one of my classmates, and we went down to the New York Post. And I, I cajoled my way into the editor, uh, and, they allowed, they, they, and they sat down with us. He sat down with us. And this is 1980. And I started asking about um, Rupert Murdoch had just uh, bought the, the New York Post for the second time. And, and I, I, was, I was really saying, well, the way you guys report the news is very, becoming very odd. It's, your senators are all experts on everything, and, and but, but they may not be experts, but you just repeat everything that, that they have to say. So I started probing in this way because I was just amazed at this ongoing story. And I had no idea what, there was, what the behind of that story was. Uh, so I, I just did it as, as as a video exercise for graduate film school. So it was then that I, I started my eye. I started looking at the media a little differently uh, because the editor was very uh, he was very forthcoming. And at the end of the uh, at the end of the interview, he said to me, "Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm leaving the post." So he had had enough of it, and um, I, I watched. So then I watched on the way up to the 2000 election, and um, I was really struck with what was covered, what was not covered, what stories that they could have told about uh, George W. Uh, and all this stuff. I, I was amazed because I had, I had started talking to these, um, these people that really know the media. And I said, jeepers, you know, there, there's one bill of goods that the, you know, the general consumer gets. And I've, so I really started looking at the media very seriously. And, and out of that grew Orwell Rolls in his grave when I, when I started to see how you can just kind of telescope how you tell a story so that the public really never knows what's going on. They never connect the, connect the dots. So anyway, I made Orwell Rolls in His Grave, and it came out in the theaters in 2004. And um, it, it, it stepped on a number of toes. It was very funny. It, it got a, a very, very good reviews, except the New York Times had somebody almost did a hit piece on it. And it was really, I was like, wow, they can really keep a film down if they want because it was too, it was too dangerous. It was too it kind of soft through the, the machinations of how the game is played. Well, now, you mentioned the, Iran, the Iranian hostage uh, crisis. What did you think when the Iran hostages were, they, they, our hostages were released the day President Reagan was inaugurated? Did you think about this coincidence at the time? No, I did not. I did not. Um, I, I, I was, I was, I was researching Orwell Worlds in His Grave, and I started, um, I started looking at the work of of a of a, of a journalist called Robert Parry, who uh, is the editor of, uh, and publisher, I believe, of ConsortiumNews.com, and he he worked for all the major uh, news agencies, and he has a real background as a journalist, and he had discovered. That in fact, and he was among others, but he, he really put the facts together and researched it, going right down, you know, to the Capitol and the whole bit, and really, you know, getting in there with the, with, with, with the hard copies, and that that suggested that emissaries of President Reagan, specifically Casey and uh, George Bush Senior, I mean, not George, um, but his father rather, um, and um, had had really had the the, the hostages to. They delayed their re- release. They had them um, kept in stir in Iran so that Reagan would get elected. You know, they were kind of in, they did a deal. Um, and that was really amazing. I was like, holy mackerel. 
So that story has been like an urban myth. No one's, no media uh, person, if they want to be a, um, a successful TV anchor, let's say, or, or high-profile journalist, will ever go there because it will really kind of spell the doom to your career. And um, it, it's really quite striking it, in the middle of it. So it's a story that's right there that it really happened. And it, it, the, the evidence is, is it came from left, right, and center, you know, the Russian Secret Service and all this. But the media studiously will not explain what really happened because that would that would um, almost jog the, the general public into, you know, the idea that they don't really know the way things really go down. It, it, so it was too big to, uh, for journalists to get into. So at the time, I knew nothing. Since then, I, 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 in, the, in the course of researching for Orwell Rolls in his grave, I, um, I came upon that evidence. I just said, wow. And in fact, had I not had that, um, it was a small segment. It must only be five minutes of the film. But had I not had that segment in the film, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have had a couple of Hitman reviews on the side. You know, it's really funny. I overstepped uh, that restraint that everyone accords certain things that happen, but now no one will outwardly say, you know, what happened. Certainly. And Danny uh, Schechter, I believe that's how you pronounce the last name, former CNN and ABC News producer, he said, quote, we falsely think of our country as a democracy when it has evolved into a mediocrity, or as I call it, the mediaopoly. We're a media that is supposed to check political abuse. Is part of the it is part of the political abuse. How does someone from CNN and, and ABC can get a job in the media after making such a statement, Robert? Well, I don't think Dan Danny, who just died. Um, oh, sorry to hear. I, I, yeah, he he uh, just died. I think it was. Uh, two or three weeks ago. And um, he, he, he was a, a producer at ABC and, and some of the other um, mainstream media outlets. But when he went too far afield and wanted to talk about these things, he, he's been mar he was marginalized so that the, the number of people that would listen to Danny Schechter, who's really quite, quite knowledgeable about this stuff, or was, uh, <laughs> it, it's fewer than it should be. Um, the, the, but the media has is is so hand in glove with both political interests and financial interests, and they're so you know through through the mechanism of the monetizing agent called commercials, which is their lifeblood, they get on the wrong side of, of any number of 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 um, good versus you know harm. To the public, because when you talk in terms of a billion dollars in the election of 2000, which Charles uh, Lewis said to me on on the air, and, uh, I think the last election cycle was it last year or the last presidential election cycle? It's more like five billion dollars. Five so, billion dollars in ads, you know, wow. in, you know, in the run up to an election. So what what has happened is that the media, the, these this, you know, the Citizens United. The, the, the spigot is open of, of people running ads, running negative ads, and all this type of stuff. It's such a it's such a cash cow for the networks that they simply can't describe it to the public for what it really is. It, 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 what it is is it's just ruining the political system, so that it's 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 really a matter of just raising money and putting on commercials. 
but they get all the money. They make all that income. So it's it's really kind of a wink and a nod between these various entities. So the media is really part of the problem. Now, I hear that Hillary Clinton alone is expected to spend over $1 billion in ads, just, just her. So it's 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 not far-fetched to, to think that every election cycle, we expect more and more billions of dollars. So if that's the case, what voice does a good, honest politician, or, or not, I hate to use that word, somebody who really wants to help and become a, you know, run for public office without money, do they even have a prayer of a chance of winning? I would think not, right? It, it's... It's, I think it's crazy on that level, which you basically have to have access to enormous wealth to run. But I think it's even it's even kind of um, it's gotten even wilder in that they can game. Uh, uh, let me just uh, back up. People popular do not popularly elect the president, right? 100 million people vote or whatever it is, and you'll see what they voted, but that's not the way the game actually plays out. It actually plays out in electoral votes. Electoral college, so, right. Electoral college. So so the game has been, like, micronized to the point where they're, they know if we cut, you know, if it's, if we've got this state, this state, and this state, and they're doing the math of the electoral votes, it boils down to a few states with <laughs> that could possibly go one way or the other. And that game within that state is is just absolutely. They, they try to gerrymander it. They try to do almost everything. They, they, they it, it becomes an issue of, of keeping people from voting. It, it 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 it's really it's really striking. So that in in uh, it was probably five or six years ago where I saw the lay of the land and I said, oh, the next oh, it's gonna, eventually after this cycle, it's going to be Jeb Bush against Hillary, and you can see it coming. So then we have immediate kabuki theater of A, who can really be the candidates, right? And then how they, they, they somehow contend in just a few states. So it's very, very odd how it plays out now. And I would, I would argue, like I happened to be um, in, uh, not Orlando, but it was uh, Tampa uh, last year. And I went to a 7-Eleven coffee, donuts, that routine. They're ubiquitous. And there was the New York Post. It was one of the only paper out of Florida you know, being sold on the stand. And I went, wow. Now, this has got to be a losing proposition for, for Rupert Mur Murdoch. But he has such power, example of power, that he puts his papers in every Severn 11 in Florida. And, that, and his paper is just, it's not a paper, it's just propaganda. Marketing. But he is—he absolutely markets these crazy ideas of his all year long, out of state, with a paper. So when the people go into Seven Eleven get a coffee, they're seeing Rupert Murdoch's ideas in, out of New York. So I was thinking the other day that <clears throat> this type of on-the-ground manipulation is, you know, advertising, marketing of ideas. If you probably look at these these swing states to see just how odd it's gotten, you're probably going to see that they try to infiltrate through their media. And the fact that these companies own so many levels, they're, they're, they're vertically integrated. They'll, they own the magazines. They own the book publishers. 
be on the radio stations, papers, the TV, all this stuff, so that you can really kind of, I'm going to watch with interest how our next presidential election goes in terms of um, just how they just try to manipulate just a few states and the people in those states that, that actually swing a presidential election. I'm going to look, I'm going to look at that very carefully on the run up to the election. And at the end of this show, I really want to have dissected all of this because I'm so interested. Now, I remember, Robert, when I was a child, and you probably do too, reporters, journalists used to create news. They would investigate and, and present their findings in an unbiased manner. What happened to that reporter you and I remember from our childhood, especially those who were not afraid to bring the juicy stories? News were reported. Now they're managed. Did someone put them on a leash? Well, I think a couple of things happen is that it costs money to do good reporting. That's the first thing. Hiring reporters is expensive. So the way the game goes down now is that if there's a story, everybody's there at that story. It's almost like you can re you can watch the news on any of the major outlets, the mainstream outlets. You can switch the station from NBC to ABC to CBS to CNN to Fox, and you're going to get very similar reporting. They're all going to be at the crash. They're all going to be at the fire, the tragedy, the man bites dogs story. And they sell that. And by each of them selling that, it's almost like Coney Island on this block. You're going to go to this amusement or that amusement or that amusement. But those are exactly what you're going to see. You are not going to go off and get some completely different analysis or different set of ideas going down that day. It's it's going to be what the prescribed story is for that day. And that's the way it's evolved. So as a reporter, you're a bad economic casualty. You're also a load because you cost money, especially if you're a senior person that knows what they're doing, right? You want to hire young people. You want to pay them as little as possible. You're not going to pay them to do a lot of research because that costs money, right? You really want to pare it down. That's so that there's an economic issue. And the reporters know that because they have just a few major players that could make them a reasonable livelihood. You know, they can have a house, pay their mortgage. And if they, if they go outside that, that little from A to B, they, 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 they risk their livelihood. They do not risk their livelihood by all showing up at that same fire. They risk their livelihood if they dig too deeply on subjects that are not well, we're not interested in that. And then they get a little too, well, I really think we should do that. And, and, and then their employer says, we're not really interested in that particular story about X powerful person or whatever, something really a little big underneath, a big underneath thing. And then, then they have a choice. You can either keep your job and go with the flow, or you can make yourself $30,000 or $40,000 or something as a freelance person you know, work, or working for a small newspaper somewhere. So you can see that when you only have a few employers, there's not 20 or 30 major employers who could really put you to work. There's just a handful. And if you, if, you, you, if you get on the wrong side of one, you can easily get on the wrong side of all. So you can just clearly see that reporters are people. They, they, they make a living. They have to self-censor in the way the game is played right now, which is really a tragedy. Oh, yes. And if you're blacklisted by one 
Well, the other five will blacklist you too. So it's not that difficult to just ban somebody from the industry. And when we think of special interests, we think of oil and energy, defense contractors, big pharma, etc. But that's not the case. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.